My name's Kevin. Thank you all so much for coming today. We really appreciate you joining us. We're in the middle of a Beatitudes series, and I'd like to share with you the last installment of that series. As you already know, if you've been paying attention to anything that's been going on, uh, there's been some significant news. Um, and I'm sure your Facebook feed has been blowing up, kind of like ours has been, both with good things and bad things and frustrating things, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. So, Rather than get right into talking about specifics about the news, what I'd like to do is share with you the message that I kind of already had planned for today. And I find it very serendipitous, you could consider it supernatural however you want to, that we landed on this particular beatitude given the news that we've been reading about and experiencing and conversing about and wrestling with. And I just want to let you know that I've gone over this message a couple times in my head, and every single point along the way, there's something that resonates with something that I've read on Facebook, or a meme, or a news report, or any research, or all of that stuff. And I hope it does for you, too. You know, we're a church. We're trying to love God and follow Jesus. Uh, We believe in the scriptures, and the beautiful truth in what this Bible tells us. And For many of us, we've grown up under a tradition or we've experienced a kind of faith that lives very much in here and helps us become maybe more pious, helps us become more religious, helps us become a better Christian. Um, I I remember one of those experiences early on in my life was if I were to take all of my secular tapes, tapes at that time, and smash those because then that would make me a better Christian. And and they they were all about those kinds of things. Uh, the, the way that my faith has developed and grown and matured over the last man, many years has really been to see a very clear connection between this message that Jesus was communicating with all of us, this movement that he started, and very real-life events, such as the events that have happened this week. And so what I'm going to attempt to do is is share with you some of the insights that I think are found in this beatitude that have relevance for the ways in which you are having conversation, for the ways in which you're engaging, for the ways in which you're wrestling with the tragedies that we've experienced, and to hopefully connect your faith, your journey with Jesus with those events to see if there is insight, inspiration, a challenge, whatever, and moving forward and getting to the next day and making a difference and fighting for things like peace and justice uh, in this world. That's a pretty heavy menu. So I'm going to stop and pray and just, okay, God, you need to speak clearly. Lord, may the words of all of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And in this moment, with my friends, my brothers and my sisters here, we pause to just simply hear from you. And may you chisel out whatever stone or hardness may be in our hearts or our ears, whatever may be there that is preventing us from hearing your good news, good news that we need in the midst of tragedy and darkness and pain and suffering and injustice. So help us to do that even now and in this place. And I pray, God, if there's anything that I've prepared that is not honoring to you and 
to this community. I pray that you would just silence our ears to that and that we would be open to hearing your spirit move. I pray in your name. Amen. Please say this with me. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, let's dig in. The last of these Beatitudes culminates in a fairly lengthy phrase that involves three main subjects at the beginning, insult, persecute, and utterance, and then ends with a reward. Congratulations, you're going to get a reward out of this. And then it compares this insult, persecution, and utterance, and that reward with the prophets that have gone before you. And so this is going to be a fairly intricately woven teaching that has a lot of different nuances. I'll do my best to try to push us through systematically or step-by-step to help us understand. And again, with the Black Lives Matter movement, with the shooting that happened in Dallas, and with the names that are on all of our hearts regarding the events of this week, but not just this week, the events that have been happening for a long, long time, let's keep that also in our backdrop and consider what does this have to say to us? How, how shall we live and listen and consider deeply these teachings from Jesus in the midst of all of that? Okay, so the Beatitude starts off with insult, persecute, and utter. Now, many times when we hear these phrases, we think immediately of something like this. People pointing fingers at you. I love this little phrase here. I always listen carefully to your opinion before I mock it. Now, insult has the idea of mocking. It also has the idea of reviling. But it also, the Greek word behind this, has the idea of disregarding. Not just a way of making fun of you, but a way of actually undermining you. A way of insulting you in such a way as to disarm or to attempt to disarm or an attempt to undermine what it is that you're actually trying to say. You are attempting to communicate. You're attempting to stand for something. You're attempting to fight for something. And somebody, somewhere in your community or online or on Facebook, insults you, mocks you. But it's not just a making fun of. It's a way of causing you to feel a sense of disgrace. A sense that what it is that you're saying really has no importance. Or the thing that you are attempting to say, the thing that you are attempting to stand for, really has no power. That's the disarming. So when Jesus starts off with the saying, happy and blessed are you because people insult you, there's also this nuance that could be happening there that it's not just like, hey, I'm standing for something and people are making fun of me. Woohoo, I'm so excited. It's possible that the nuance here is that you are actually standing for something that is starting to rub up against somebody else. And that person upon whom your stance is rubbing up against is trying to undermine you because what you're standing for, what you're speaking out for, what it is that you're fighting for actually makes them uncomfortable. Are you with me? So happy are you because people insult you because maybe, maybe you're fighting for something. You're standing for something. You have actually 
considered the conviction of your heart for this thing that is really important, and that's going to tick off a bunch of people. And as they get upset, they're going to try to do their best to insult you because it makes them feel uncomfortable. Second thing that he mentions here is persecute. Blessed are you who are persecuted. Now, last week, I taught a little bit about persecution, meaning pursuing, a going after. And I do believe that Jesus was talking about blessed are you who are persecuted, meaning people are coming after you because of the righteousness that you stand for. So I stand by that definition in that beatitude. But in this beatitude, the same word, dioko in the Greek, to for the word persecute and pursue, does, in this phrase, have the connotation of people who are actually physically coming upon you to harm you, to bind you, to put you in chains. Um, There's actually an organization called the Voice of the Martyrs that has documented the persecuted church. People who are Christians, who love Jesus, who are trying to do their best to be followers of this movement, But as a result of their political situation, their cultural situation, or even family situation, they are persecuted. They're kicked out. They are um, put in chains, jailed. And as many of you know, paying attention to global news, many of them actually to this day are still executed. When we read about people who are persecuted for their faith, meaning put to death, we often think immediately of our Bible stories, such as Stephen as the first martyr in Acts chapter 7. So he was put to death. And we think that is an example of what has happened in the past. And what we need to remember is that what we're doing right here is a tremendous privilege. For us to be able to gather here to speak about Jesus openly, to talk about our faith openly without the threat of somebody coming in here um, and doing all sorts of damage, by the way, institutionally, obviously there's other things that could happen. That is something that we ought not take for granted because in some parts of this world and many people in this world experience real persecution, death, dismemberment, all sorts of pain and struggle as a result. Once again, blessed are you or happy are you who are being persecuted. Is it because, once again, you are standing for something You're trying to fight for a revolution. You are a part of the way, the movement of Jesus, that has introduced into this world a whole new way of being human. But there are others who are threatened by that way. And the only way that they feel like they can still maintain their status is to somehow do harm to you. Third, blessed are you when people utter all kinds of evil against you. Now, this word utter has the connotation of saying, but it also has the connotation of testifying. This is a phraseology that means when somebody is saying something that is ultimately false witness against you. They will make something up, conjure something up, come up with something that they will find some, something to pick on or some sort of nuance, and they will throw that out there. Regardless of how true it may be or how false it may be, doesn't matter to them. All that matters is that they are casting aspersions upon you, your integrity. They will attack who you are, etc. Blessed are you. Blessed, happy are you. When people do these things, testify against you. 
So there you have it. Are you happy yet? Are you happy that people are insulting you, persecuting you? And in the midst of even the news this week, when people are fighting for justice, fighting for a voice, fighting for a cause that is really critical, important, you know that you have Facebook friends that will throw in little comments there that try to either undermine you or kind of downplay or disarm the thing that you're trying to say. And you're like, a friend, thank you very much. Bye-bye, no longer. And you're, you know, your friend count went from 900 to you know, 800 this week as a result. <laughs> These phrases, insult, persecute, utter evil against you, these are all statements of people that are attempting to thwart, discredit, eliminate, or invalidate who you are, what you stand for, your cause, your passions. Traditionally, when I've read this passage, and I've even heard this recently, I'm very, very happy because I'm standing for an interpretation of the Bible that I think is right and nobody else thinks is right, and so I'm standing for it, and people make fun of me, and I'm going to stand for it, and so I'm happy because I'm now standing for this. This, however, has the connotation that you're not just standing for, like, some interpretation of the Bible about the age of the earth or about predestination. This has the connotation that you are standing for something deeply profound and significant about the human experience, about things that we have talked about here before, justice and righteousness and peace, power structures that need to be attended to, institutions and systems that are not equal, these kinds of things. And you are pushing and working and striving hard for those kinds of efforts. And somebody either online or in your family is attempting to insult, persecute, or utter things against you, and the reason why they are doing that is because they don't like what you're doing. They are trying to undermine you. They're trying to discredit what it is that you stand for. They are trying to get rid of you. Sometimes they just even want to ignore you. So rather than thinking about insult, persecute, and utter as just simply personal attacks on you, Maybe we could also think about this as somebody else's insecurity, misunderstanding, or fight against what you stand for, what it is that you're fighting for. Now, I'm going to try to support this by what Jesus says next. Rejoice! Woohoo! And be glad! Because great is your reward in heaven. Now, this phraseology, reward, has been translated multiple times to mean, when I get to the pearly gates in the sky, my mansion's going to be really big, my crown's going to be huge, there's going to be a lot of jewels, it's going to be heavy, I can barely stand underneath the weight of it, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. I'm going to have my mansion, it's going to have many rooms, it's going to be a beautiful thing when I get there. The word reward here, the word reward has the meaning of salary, payment, You have actually received a wage for the efforts that you've put in. So when he says, great is your reward in heaven, you've heard us talk, if you've been around Spark a little bit before, that heaven is not about that thing that happens when you get dead, but heaven is that thing that happens when God's presence and rule and reign exists right here on earth. Your wage, the salary that you earn, In that existence, 
that is what you are going to get. You are going to get the very reward, the salary, the wage that comes with the effort that you've put in. You worked for something, now you receive something. Some commentators suggest that that receiving that you get is actually the persecution. And I'm going to suggest maybe there's a different way to think about this because of this next phrase. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, this phrase to me is perhaps the most significant of this entire segment of teachings that Jesus is doing here. Blessed, happy are you when people insult you, persecute you, ridicule you, utter all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, great is your reward in heaven because this that you're experiencing is exactly what has happened to the prophets that have come before us, to the people that have been doing this fight for a long time. Now, this word prophet is problematic in our modern parlance, uh, the way that we use the word prophet. This is Nostradamus, or at least some artist rendition of Nostradamus. Apparently, he's very famous for predicting the future. And so whenever we hear the word prophet or prophecy, our thinking is immediately about somebody who's predicting the future. And I'm going to suggest to you, no, this is not what a biblical prophet is. So when you hear the word prophet, you have to do some really hard deconstruction in your brain. Prophecy is not about predicting the future. This is a prophet. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites to go out of his country. Now, the word there, like God, is the word Elohim. It comes from the creation of Genesis. It means like God. The word for prophet there is the word Navi. Everybody say Navi. Navi. Now, I can't do the word Navi anytime because this is the only thing that I think of whenever I hear the word Navi. The word Navi is a mouthpiece. Somebody who is speaking for the representative. So if you notice in that Exodus passage in, in Exodus 7, Moses is like God to Pharaoh. Aaron is going to be the mouthpiece of this Moses who is like God to Pharaoh. A prophet is not somebody who thinks and foretells and has secret visions about what the future is. A prophet is somebody who speaks forth the voice of the God that they represent, the person that they represent. A prophet is a mouthpiece. And a prophet is somebody who stands in that position of hearing from God and speaking into this world the words that God desires to speak. Some people say it's not foretelling, it's forth-telling. And let me give you to some examples. So what exactly is a prophet? First, a prophet. Isaiah's a prophet. Jeremiah's a prophet. Yes, we have three sermons in a row where we're using our children as fodder for the sermon. Okay, so that's Isaiah, and he's a prophet. He, he belongs up there. Doesn't he look good? He looks, yeah, just as honorable as all the stained glass. Okay, so there he is. So what is a prophet? Let me see if I can share with you a little bit about the different voices that emerge, especially when there are events such as this week. You've already experienced this. 
Whenever tragedy or injustice or hard things happen, there's a variety of voices that rise up. Some voices that rise up are the separatists or the apatheists. The apatheists are the people that really honestly don't care. This is somebody else's news. This is somebody else's problem. I really don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm going to post more pictures of my cute children and the kitty cats. So that's what I'm going to do. The separatists are also the ones that maybe they're not necessarily apathetic, but they just kind of want to distance themselves from the thing. If it doesn't affect me personally, I'm just going to, okay, that, that's, that's good that that's your issue, but it's not going to be my issue. Another group of people that rise up whenever challenge and tragedy happen are the rationalists or the liturgists. Now, the rationalists are the people that are going to say, well, you know, the reason why this happened, and they philosophize. And they get into all of the sociology and the psychology, and they live in the space of academia. And they try to explain to everybody why they know exactly why everything is happening, and nobody else does. Everybody else are idiots, but I'm, the one, uh, I'm really the one that gets this. The liturgists are the people that when they face tragedy or difficulty or challenge, rise up and say, you know what, we just, we just need to pray. We just need to pray. Let's, let's get down on our knees. Let's cry out together. We need to read our Bible some more. And you have those people in your lives as well. Another group of people are the apologists and the fundamentalists. These are the people that rise up in the midst of tragedy and point their fingers and say, I told you so, and can give every single reason and example as to why they were right in the first place. And every piece of news, every piece of data, everything that they read is evidence for their side. And then there are people, unfortunately in this world, in the midst of pain and suffering and challenge that rise up that are the zealots. And this, of course, is a little bit of what happened in Dallas. The point of... No rationalization, no prayers, only violence. This is the only way that we can deal. Now, there's a whole bunch on this slide that we need to think about, consider. There's a whole bunch of systems, thinking, perspectives, worldviews that exist on this slide that exist in each and every one of us that we need to wrestle with. I'm asking the question, what's a prophet? A prophet is somebody that rises up in the midst of all of these voices, all of them, to say that you're all right to some degree, but you're all wrong to some degree. There is something that needs to be done. There is a path forward. And those of you who are the liturgists who think we just need to pray, we don't have any problem with the word pray. We have a problem with the word just. Just need to pray? No, we should pray and. And to the rationalists and to the apologists who say, I got it all figured out. Okay, you live up here in your mind. But the prophet rises up and says, it's good to think good thoughts and to try to rationalize and try to make sense of it all. But at some particular point, you have to do something. You have to act. You have to get involved with what's going on in the world. To the separatists and to the apatheists, the prophet rises up and says, you don't have the luxury to sit on the sidelines and not care about what's happening to our brothers and sisters. Why? Because our narrative, our story is that they 
are your family. So a prophet is somebody that rises up in the midst of all of these disparate voices and provides a different kind of voice. A voice that moves forward, a voice that moves for righteousness and justice and peace and holiness in this world, a voice that speaks to all of these different audiences and says, let's get to work. And there's three primary ways in which the prophets have done this throughout the the scriptures that we read. The first is outcry, the second is empathy, and the third is to declare a new covenant. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go through each and every one of these. I'll do my best to try to give you a snapshot of each one. An outcry. One of my favorite authors, Abraham Joshua Heschel, has written this. Instead of showing us a way through the elegant mansions of the mind, the prophets take us to the slums. To us, a single act of injustice, cheating in business, exploitation of the poor, is slight. But to the prophets, it's a disaster. To us, injustice is injurious to the welfare of the people. To the prophets, it is a death blow to existence. To us, it's an episode. To the prophets, to them, a catastrophe, a threat to the world. Do you hear what he's saying in there? For some people who are the separatists or who just kind of live with it, it's just an event that happens. But a prophet rises up and says, no, this thing, this injustice that has happened in the world is a catastrophe to our existence. If we don't speak to it, if we don't live into it, if we don't do something about it, then we ourselves, our entire humanity is threatened. Prophecy is the voice that God has lent to the silent agony, a voice to the plundered poor, to the profaned riches of the world. It is a form of living, a crossing point of God and man. God is raging in the prophet's words. The prophet speaks for God. And when the prophet rises up and says, this shall not be, you're hearing the voice of God saying, this shall not be. To the prophet, however, no subject is as worthy of consideration as the plight of man. Indeed, God himself is described as reflecting over the plight of man rather than as contemplating eternal ideas. I love this quote because I've been through theology courses and I've been online with a lot of friends who like to talk high theology. And much of the time we often consider church, religion, faith, even Christianity to be about this phrase, the contemplation of eternal ideas. The prophet says, nothing is as worthy as the plight of humanity. This is what God has intended. This is what the voice of the prophet has been yearning for. What kind of experience do we have in our world? That is what I want to pay attention to. That is what I want to attend my heart to. Not just the mere contemplation of eternal ideas. So number one, the voice of the prophet is an outcry. Number two, the voice of the prophet is empathy. To care deeply, to feel in our hearts what others have felt. Many of you know the story of Hosea. Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. 
When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the story of Hosea and Gomer is the story of a prophet who marries a promiscuous woman. Some call her a prostitute because the prophet now feels experiences what the land, what God, what Israel has experienced. A prophet does not just give voice to the outcry. The prophet also empathizes. In Jeremiah, there's this amazing passage where he says, And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her false sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her false sister Judah did not fear, but she went to, uh, but she too went and played the whore. That phrase, I sent her away with a decree of divorce. God has experienced, empathized what it means to have a brokenness of covenant, to have some sort of marriage, some sort of connection, and yet for that to be completely broken. And that voice is found in the prophets. The prophets also declare in other places that the stories that we have lived by all of our lives declare to us our identities. The story of Cain and Abel, the very first murder that has happened, is an exemplification, a teaching, a truth that the taking of another life, the murder of somebody else, is the murder of our family, of our kin. Somebody who is us. That's what that story teaches us. And the prophet rises up and says, the reason why we can't sit on the sidelines is because every person in this world is my brother or my sister. That's the voice of the prophet. Outcry, empathy, and last, new covenant. And here's where the beauty of the prophets rise up amongst us in the midst of all of these tragedies and these struggles. Isaiah chapter 2. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. And here's this famous phrase that has been evoked before. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword any against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. The prophet not only outcries and declares that this is wrong. The prophet does not only empathize and say, I feel what you feel. The prophet also declares that there is a way forward, a creation of a new relationship, creation what we would call in biblical terms a new covenant, a new partnership, a new way of being human that can transform all of these tools of war into tools of peace and prosperity. And what is that new covenant? Jeremiah 31, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That new covenant later on all throughout Jeremiah is that this truth, this relationship will be written on our hearts. There's a transformation that happens here. Not just here, here. So the prophet outcries, the prophet empathizes, and the prophet declares a new covenant. And that covenant is the covenant that binds us together once again. As all of us created in God's image, in his likeness. All of us. 
every single one of us. I've been reflecting a lot. If I can just simply confess to you, I I recognize my personal inadequacy or insecurity, whatever you want to call it, to speak to events such as the things that have happened this week. Um, This is oftentimes, I I call it the path of the peas. I I go through feeling polarized, provoked, um, paralyzed. Uh, I know many of you have probably felt one or many of these emotions throughout this time. Many of you know this touches home. I mean, um, we have two daughters. One of them is African. The other one is African-American. And it's like I, people look at me and they're like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, but these are stories that even, even with that reality, I feel very inadequate to do. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I feel like I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going I'm to uh, insult the wrong people. I'm going to offend people who I love and I care about. And there's just this mix of like, wh- what do we do? And one of those sentiments that I've heard uh, from people online is that I just feel honestly absolutely powerless. It's this big thing. I don't know what to do. I'm I'm not quite sure if there's anything that I can do. You get to be like the prophet. Your voice matters. Your hope of empathizing, of outcrying, of declaring that there can be a new way, even if you don't know what that is, even if you feel that powerlessness into that path, comes Jesus who says, blessed are you. If you want to get insulted and persecuted and all that stuff, because that's what the prophets have experienced. And in some ways, this beatitude for me feels like a call into becoming like a prophet again. Wait, wait, that? That is accessible to me as somebody who's uncertain, insecure, paralyzed, polarized, and I get to take on the voice of the prophet. Problems with issues like this is immediate polarization. It becomes politicized. And then immediately when it gets into that realm, people don't think it's as important anymore when we're talking about human life. It's into that reality that Jesus is calling us to be, once again, like the prophet, who can outcry, who can empathize, who can say, no, 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 we, we don't have to do it that way. We can do it this way. There's a new way forward for a new kind of relationship. And for those of you who feel like you're just simply provoked and you've had to defriend people off of Facebook this week, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I often wonder what would happen if you were like a prophet once again to them. Maybe they need that voice. They need to hear. They need a prophetic voice. Blessed are you, all of you, when somebody has come against you and said, how dare you put that on Facebook? How dare you speak up for that? How dare you stand for that? Oh, didn't you know this thing about that person who... All of that? Why? Because somebody is trying to discredit this amazing, beautiful, powerful thing that you're doing in this world. In the same way, your reward is, hey, you're just like the prophets that have gone before us, who have outcried against injustices, who have fought hard for new ways forward. And just 
like the prophets, they speak out. They raise their voice because they know that to be silent is to be complicit. And maybe that's part of our call. And we don't, not all of us are going to know what to do, what to say. We're stuck. We're challenged. We're paralyzed. We're polarized. So we are challenged to try to figure this out in the midst of insults and in the midst of movements and in the midst of tragedies. People need to say something, do something, be a part of a conversation. And let me just say, as I've confessed to you my inadequacy and insecurity, there are people in this room, this amazing Spark community, there are phenomenal prophets that live amongst us that know how to speak to this, that know how to raise their voice, that know how to teach well, that know how to empathize, that know how to hold tensions together, that know how to converse with somebody to move a conversation forward. And if you're somebody here who is like, I just don't get it, I don't understand, if you're somebody here who doesn't understand what it's like to have a conversation with your son or your daughter when they get their driver's license about how to handle a police officer that pulls you over, you might need a prophet in your life. If you're somebody who doesn't understand what it's like to walk by a car and to hear the doors lock, you might need a prophet in your life. These are real things, real experiences. And there are very real prophets amongst us. And I'm so personally so grateful, so thankful for the prophets that are in my life that speak this truth, this outcry, this empathy, and wrestle together for a new covenant, a new relationship, a new way forward. And they get insulted, and they get persecuted, and they get told, well, really, can you just tone it down a little bit? They get that. Why? Because they are just like the prophets. I want to share with you three prophets that I thought are important for us to be aware of. And in the midst of our community and the conversations that we've been having, I've been wondering, maybe we should pick up one of these books. Michelle Alexander is a professor at Ohio State University, has written this phenomenal book called The New Jim Crow. A powerful, studied, diligently researched, and evocative prophetic voice for the experience of our African-American brothers and sisters in this world. Um, Brian Stevenson is the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, has written this incredible book, Just Mercy, also about the incarceration rates uh, in this world, and has been one of, considered one of the top lawyers in America today, uh, trying to figure out a way to think about our justice system. And I just finished Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, Between the World and Me. Um, again, Man, was moments where I just had to put the book down and feel moved once again by the experience of my brothers, my sisters, and then also feeling this will be the experience of my children and has been. So, friends, we need prophets. And 
when insults come, when persecution come, when people are going to speak evil things. And, you know, I was having some conversations with some people, and they were hearing a little bit about what Spark teaches about a variety of issues, a, a variety of things. And somebody said, this is kind of third-hand information, but like, oh, I can't go to that church. They're so, and then they put a title on it, whether that they're liberal or they're crazy or they're out, you know, whatever it is. Right as I was preparing this message, blessed are you. When people insult you, persecute you, speak all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, I definitely don't want to stand us up as a martyr, but I consider that a possible example of what it means. Like, I'm not trying to be a martyr. I'm just trying to speak truth to these things, try to live in the way of Jesus into this world. And there are some who will see that and go, oh, you're just, and then put a label on it. And so... I hold on to teachings like this. Happy, blessed are us when people insult us, persecute us, falsely say all kinds of evil against us because of this movement of Jesus, because of the good news of the way of Christ, because of the prophetic voice that Jesus has offered to this world that is so desperately needed in times of injustice and pain and struggle. Rejoice. Be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. Because in the same way they did this to the prophets. And you get to be like them. We get to be like them. And that, that is a blessing. God, I don't know where our conversations are going to go from here. I'm not even sure if everything that I've said has been honoring to you in this text, show us, speak to us, help us navigate through this, help us be the kinds of people that lift up a prophetic voice to this world. God, I know that there's going to be a lot of possible resistance, labeling, undermining, Help us to see clearly by the power of your spirit, wisdom, where we need to move forward, where we need to repent, where we need to speak differently so that we can be true and honorable to your tradition, to your movement, to your way, and to the tradition of the prophets that have gone before us. Thank you, God, so much for the prophets that are here today in this congregation and in the wider church. May our hearts and our ears listen intently to what they have to say to us. And may we be moved and challenged once again by that prophetic voice. And I pray this desperately in your name. Amen.